0: Everyone to stand for the reading of the scriptures. This is a powerful, powerful passage in Philippians. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians 3:19, and if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, for it is a safeguard to you. Watch out for those dogs those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Please pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would anoint the lips of Kyle. You would open our ears in our hearts to hear your word preached today through your Holy Spirit. We just thank you and we praise you for the privilege that you give us to meet in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, may be seated. So good to be here this morning with you all. Very excited to be here on the Lord's Day in fellowship with God's people who he rescued by his blood, by grace through faith. Um, If any of us stand before God in heaven and not be consumed by his holiness, it is not because we are virtuous. It is not because we have come to church this morning. Um, It's not because um, we haven't done the heinous things of those around us. It is because we are sinners and that Christ has insulated us from the wrath of God by dying for us on the cross. Amen. Amen. But by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's in this that we rejoice. We come together today to rejoice in the fact that we don't have to earn our way to heaven, that we don't have to um, forgive our own sin by our own virtue, but that it has been done for us in a once-for-all transaction between the Son and the Father. Amen? And that is um, the, the glory of the salvation that we enjoy every day. I want to uh, preach a sermon uh, to you this morning called Leaky Joy, because I believe that the gospel is what fills up our joy tank. (laughs) I believe that the gospel is the source and foundation of our joy. And oftentimes when we forget this, when we start um, looking to other things to make us happy, our joy sort of leaks out. And we need a reminder. We need something to plug up those holes. And it's the gospel that does that. We've been uh, in the letter to the Philippians, that w- that's what was just read to you this morning. We've been here for some time, and we've noticed in it as, the, as a primary theme, Christian joy, as I just mentioned. It's clear that the heart of Christian joy, according at least to the Apostle Paul, is the gospel. And we see this in chapter 1, verse 18, very clearly. The gospel both believed and the, the gospel lived out. And I've said many times to you all that the gospel, before it is advice, it is news it is an event. It's something that happened. You see, religion is advice. Religion is live like this, do that, and you know you'll be productive and somewhat happy, and maybe God will forgive you the things that you've done wrong, and you'll go to heaven if there even is one. Um, that's that's basically what religion says. It's it's advice. <clears throat> Stop doing this, do that, and God will love you. But but the gospel is news. The gospel says that someone died on the cross. Someone bore sin for others, and that someone is Jesus Christ. So the gospel is news, news to be believed and accepted, that it, it, that it was him that paid the price of your salvation and the forgiveness of your sin. The news of the gospel we see <clears throat> really clearly laid out in what was an early Christian hymn um, in Philippians chapter 2 that we talked about some weeks ago. It basically told us that Christ... Jesus Christ, if you're new to who even Jesus is, maybe you've heard of him before, but according to scripture, Jesus Christ is more than just a historical figure. According to the Bible, Jesus Christ existed as God. He is the one that created all things. And this God, who is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit, emptied himself, humiliated himself, became a man, took on flesh, and then he became a servant. He didn't come as a king to be lauded or glorified. He came to be crucified. He died on a cross. And he didn't just die, he died taking on a curse, the, the curse of sin that we deserved, that humanity deserved, the sin, the curse that Adam had put on him many millennia ago. And this is Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. <clears throat> That's the good news. The news that something that we desperately need has been provided by our gracious and loving Father in heaven. Isn't that glorious? That you are accepted in Christ, not because of your performance, but because of his performance. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And buried in this news is really the secret of Christian joy. Real joy. Lasting joy. The fullness of joy. Now if I took a poll in this room, I think it would probably be... um, pretty obvious, at least in my own logic, that if I took a poll and I asked you how many people at times in your life, maybe often in your life, just struggle for joy, I'm sure a lot of hands would go up. And a lot of times in life, and I'm sure a lot of hands would go up about this too, there's really nothing wrong going on. There's really nothing bad happening. It's not always the occasion of some trial or death or sickness. Sometimes you feel this weight of depression and anxiety and fear and you really don't have a good reason for it. And it's hard to, when you're in that place, it's hard to explain where that comes from. I don't want to oversimplify, by the way, sometimes what is the problem of anxiety. I know that can be biological and physical, okay? But I do want to address this with respect to the gospel because I think the gospel speaks into a lot of where this might come from. In an earlier part of this letter... We read in verse 17, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying in spite of the circumstances of my life, in spite of the harrowing, harrowing events and the trials that I've endured, even the suffering, that I have a foundation of joy. I have a basis for rejoicing. So he's addressing this topic of shared joy among believers in Jesus Christ. And then, then if you remember, he paused for a little, bit, a little while, and we paused too because of our sermon series, and he started talking about the, the virtue of Timothy and Epaphroditus. You remember this? Um, but in our text, he's, he picks up on it again. He, he continues where he left off in chapter 2, and he picks up, he says in verse 3, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. In other words, he's picking up on that theme that he just paused on for a little while to discuss his friends Timothy and Epaphroditus. So he says, it is no trouble for me to write to the same things to you again, for it is a safeguard for you. It's a safeguard for you. What he's saying here is that part of the the, the strength of the Christian life is founded in joy. That if for some reason joy eludes us, We have to identify that as a problem. Something's wrong. So returning to joy, he says this is a safeguard. I need to remind you of this, friends, because this is the goal of the Christian life. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, even, he says in the book of Galatians. The command to rejoice in the Lord is the same thing as saying, quote, let the Lord be the one who makes you happy. If you say, like, what does that mean, rejoice in the Lord? It basically means this, let the Lord primarily be the one who makes you happy. Where do you get your happiness from? Let the Lord be the one who makes you happy, Paul says, and I'll say it again, let the Lord be the one who makes you happy. And this is a safeguard for us because it's so easy for us to start getting our pleasure and joys of life from his creation, from the created thing. It's more, by the way, than receiving happiness from the Lord. The Lord is not one of many ways that we can live a joyful life. Paul's not saying that true and lasting joy can be acquired in other ways aside from the gospel. He's saying that real joy, lasting joy, only comes from and is grounded in the gospel. So if you want to be happy, friends, if you want deep and rich joy, may I offer to you this morning... That you need to seek the Lord. That you need to find the Lord. And he is available to you to be found. He doesn't make it complicated. He's not buried in some deep cavern. He's not on the top of the highest mountain that you need to traverse. He's available to you right now. Repeating this is a safeguard. But a safeguard from what? And this is from the tendency, like I said, to derive our joy from our accomplishments. You see, we're happy when we feel like we're safe. I got lots of money. We're happy when we feel like we're kind of living out the perfect me life. Like, how have I been designed and am I working out through that design? Right? I'm not even trying to suggest to you, by the way, that sometimes there isn't an un, a, a discomfort from from certain things that would happen to you in life, or even from you know, doing the wrong job, a job that you're not gifted to do. But my point is that primarily, that's not the issue. The issue is a, a rejoicing in the Lord. Christian joy can leak if we forget this, if we derive our joy from our own accomplishments or possessions or security. It begins to leak when we forget that rejoicing in the Lord requires that we, quote, are holding and practicing True religion. Now what does that mean? I know that might be a little bit confusing. If you're not practicing true religion, you're not practicing the gospel. True religion is the gospel. And if you don't practice the gospel, joy is going to leak. Now Paul presents, I think, three maxims that we, got, that we have to understand in this text if we're really going to shore up Christian joy. If you're going to be able to kind of climb out. Sometimes, by the way, one of the risks of preaching a message like this is if you're going through moments of grief in your life or trouble that somehow you're not spiritual. And friend, that is not the message this morning. You're supposed to grieve during grieving situations. Jesus Christ wept over Jerusalem. He said, God, take this cup from me. So there are times in our life where we're afraid and that we grieve. But what I'm addressing this morning is this chronic fear this chronic misery that sometimes we find ourselves in. We can't just seem to find happiness in Christ. And, and it is available to you, friend. And Paul says there are three maxims that you need in your life to shore up Christian joy. And they're very simple. Okay, number one, you ready for this life changing truth? Number one, you are not God. Number two, your flesh is a trap. Number three, this one, you're ready for God. Is God. Okay, write those down. Those are hard. It's like algebra. You are not God. Your flesh is a trap. God is God. And let's unpack these a little bit so that they can make a little bit more sense to us. You are not God. Verse two. Watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. It's an interesting thing that as Christians, we have to remind ourselves that we're not God. (laughs) And let me explain to you what this means. It's the first commandment, right, isn't it? It's the first commandment that we know as Christians and believe in Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Israel, who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It's the first command number one. There it is. Every good uh, Jewish boy and girl knows Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the Hebrew Shema. Shema means to hear or to listen in Hebrew. And it says this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe so that, listen, listen up. Let me see, say this again. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to, to teach you so that you might enjoy life. Listen, Israel. Hear, that's why it's called the Shema. Hear, Israel, be careful to obey so that it might go well with you. He's talking about a spirit, a peace. He's not talking about being rich and famous and prosperous. He's talking about the spirit. Listen, Israel, that it might go well with you. Hear, Israel. What, what are we supposed to listen to, you say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Fear the Lord and serve him only. Do not follow other gods. Do not follow other gods. You say, well, I don't follow other gods. I know that the Lord is one. I believe that there is one God and that I am not God. Oh, do you? Do you, friend? Do you know it on paper, but do you slip back into that habit of self-worship and dependency on your own flesh to derive your joy and peace and safety? It's astounding to me How often I forget a very basic principle from these passages. As the one God goes, so joy goes. As the one God goes, so joy goes. So we have to ask a question, don't we? Who is God? What is God? The one who brought the children in our text, he's identified. He is the one who brought the children of Israel out of slavery. God, in other words, is the one that saves us. We are not the one who saves us. It's not on us to save us. You say, well, okay, save, that's kind of like a religious word. What do you mean by that? It means to have your sins forgiven. Your past erased. It means to get applause in life, approval affection. So what we do is we think, well, I'll be God and I'll start earning that affection. I'll start working hard. I'll get married and I'm my God now, you see? I'm going to work all these things. I'm going to work a lovely life and I become God. So it's astounding to me that we forget all of those things are satisfied in the God and only He can provide them. God is the one that saves us. We don't save ourselves. Can you just remember that? You don't save yourself. You are not God. And if you're not God, that has to mean that no other created thing is God either. Only God is God. We'll get to that. That's our last point. But only God is God. So we think that we need to be fulfilled in life by being married or having a great job or, or, or the like. But only God is God. That's freeing. In the Philippians... Um, in, the, in this letter, the Philippian church confused, um, the, well, there were these Jewish Christians that believed that some act of the flesh was saving them. And if you're not familiar with Christianity or the Bible, um, for them that was circumcision. That might seem weird to you, but that was a religious act. It was a ritual in the Old Testament, kind of like our baptism. That might be more familiar with you today. But they were thinking that, that they needed to be circumcised, to be saved. For their sins to be free. It was an act of the flesh. It was a religious service that would somehow satisfy the anger of God. So they would have said the opposite of Paul. Rejoice in your circumcision. Rejoice in your righteousness. Rejoice in your church attendance. Rejoice in the fact that you read your Bible sometimes. You're a pretty good person. Paul says, absolutely not. Put no confidence in this because none of that can save you. None of it can. My good works cannot bring me out of the land of slavery, and neither could theirs. You are not God. Your works are not God. God is God. Only he can save you. These texts are saying that if you want to enjoy life, have deep and rich joy in life, You cannot have something else besides God saving you, proving you, affirming you, applauding you. You need God to do that, and that is your source of rich and lasting joy. You want to know why? Because we sung about it a little bit. He is unchanging. Because how many people know in this room that sometimes that girl who applauded us yesterday hates us tomorrow? Right? It's changing. And it often changes because of us. Let's just be honest. Because we're very dumb sometimes, and we hurt people, and we do dumb things. But the love of God is unchanging, and it's not dependent on your work, so that means that when I fail, his love stays. He doesn't divorce you. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives all of your sin, and you stand as righteous before God as if you never offended him to begin with. So that love is unchanging, and it stays. That's why it's the only love. It's the only source of joy that's lasting. Do not follow other gods that you might enjoy life. And that's liberating friends. God doesn't stand up and applause for, because we're the best, or because we're the smartest, because we're the most attractive. We don't need to perform for him or put on a show. He applauds us because He saved us. He died for our sins. He performed for us. See? He is God. We are not. So who is the real circumcision as it's brought out in our text? Paul says we are. Let me translate what he means by this. Who are those for whom God affirms, applauds, loves, and has forgiven? Who are those? Accepted into the family of God with forgiven sins. It's not those who boast in their flesh, or in their works. It's not those who think that they are God or this created world is God, but those who only boast in Christ, who fully understand their fallenness and absolute dependency on Jesus to forgive all of it. These are the one to whom the promises of God belongs and saves us and restores us, which is the theme of the whole Bible, especially introduced in the Old Testament, if we're the objects of the promise of God because of the gift of the Spirit, what occasion would there be for self-praise? We just can't boast in the flesh anymore. If it's not our fleshly actions that save us or are the basis for the forgiveness of our sin, there is no boasting in them. What a great passage that we see in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9. If you guys are familiar with it, it says in the Old Testament, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, justice and righteousness on earth. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the rich, um, I already said that one. Let not the strong boast in their strength. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that I am the Lord. Galatians chapter 6. May I never boast except in the cross, Of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You know, us humans can do some pretty great stuff sometimes, right? I mean, we sent a man to the moon, for crying out loud. We're pretty smart. I'm not saying I am, but like there are people I've heard out there that are really smart and do pretty amazing things. But from sports to arts to all these things, and Paul says... Boast in none of it. Boast in Christ. Because it is not your magnificent accomplishments that make you acceptable to God through Christ. It is the work of Christ only. And if you don't lean on that and trust in that, you remain in your sin, friends. And we all know, as great as the accomplishments are that we produce, that they just don't work. They don't satisfy something deep in our soul. We always need to go after something else, something more. And the reason for, that's a grace of God, by the way. The reason is, is because you need that from your creator, not the created thing. Remember that great hymn, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. And from our passage, for we boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. When a Christian forgets that he is not God and starts to trust in the flesh or this world for their acceptance or worth, it is miserable and your joy starts to leak. Let me remind you of this from that great Psalm, chapter 16 in the Old Testament. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. The flesh, the works, accomplishments, relationships are not his refuge, are God's. God is, see? Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I am not Lord. You are my Lord. I cannot save myself. Your creation cannot save me. You are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. So, nothing we have in this physical world is a good thing, in that they are not our Lord and cannot complete us. Verse 4 those, listen to this, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more because they will find a closed door at the end emptiness. When Christians lose sight of this, they suffer. It's heavy, and our joy leaks. Our fake gods, our false gods, can't save us. They bring us misery. Lord, verse 5, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body rests secure. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with the eternal pleasures at your right hands. You know how many things are surprisingly absent from Psalm 16 when it comes for filling up joy? Money isn't mentioned. Marriage isn't mentioned. Children are not mentioned. Great works of strength are not mentioned. The Lord is mentioned over and over and over again because nothing is God but God. You are not God. God is God. And as God goes, joy goes. So put no confidence in the flesh. Number two, your flesh is a trap. Paul now gets into the flesh trap. He says basically, if you read this, it's kind of humorous. He basically says, you want to start bragging about accomplishments? Well, hold on a second, because mine will eat your lunch. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence the flesh, I have far more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's he's piling up all the things that a good Jewish person would have considered virtuous at the time: religious, moral, God honoring. And for many of these things in here, he was, in a certain sense, right if he was properly motivated. Flesh, according to one author, is, describes a man who has reached the very pinnacle or moral in religious development. We learn what is our true state before God and how incredibly marvelous is our Savior only when we dismiss this popular conception That it is not only man at his worst, but man at his best who is flesh. And therefore, not acceptable to God. You see, (laughs) what's laid out here? Good works. He's really not talking about secular things, isn't he? About how smart he was in a certain sense, or how many people he helped. You know, he's talking about religion, He's talking about all of the religious virtue of his life. And that means to me, that that says something very scary. That you can be in a place like this and still not get the gospel. Because you're here religiously. The reason the flesh can be a trap is because it can produce what we think that are good things. Good things upon which we begin to rely for our own acceptance in this world and before God. So, in his day, let me talk a little bit about Paul's resume here because it might be confusing. In his day, Paul was captain Hebrew. I mean, he was the best Jew in the room. Circumcision, check. Circumcised on the eighth day, by the way, check. Of the people of Israel, check. Of the tribe of Benjamin, check. A Hebrew of Hebrews, check. A Pharisee, check. The strictest. Sect in the Jewish faith, one of the most brilliant minds of, of our time, uh, excuse me, of human history. People even, secular people would even argue this about Paul. This guy's no slouch. All these he called gains. These are the gains of my life. Everything that this world would have applauded. Now, when we think about our world, we might have different things we would fill in the blanks with. You know, like, I'm in pretty good shape. Check. Right? I, I have a bachelor's degree. Check. Oh, oh, not just a bachelor's. I have a master's degree. Check. I pay my bills on time. Mm-hmm. Check. I don't have much debt. Check. Right, Like the things we boast about. Right, Like my car isn't new, but I don't owe anything on it. Check. <laughs> we have all these things that we internally are proud of ourselves about. Aren't we? You know, and some of us have different lists. Sometimes that depends on your culture or your parents. And how about this, though? Let's reverse it. This is where we get in trouble. Because now, when, when all of our virtues, when we can't put a, che- put a check on them, when we feel like we're lazy and our parents were like, don't ever be lazy in life, you woke up late one morning. Oh, I'm such a bum. I woke up at nine. Right? You lose your job because of a mistake you made. You're in debt. When your dad told you your whole life never getting it. Now it's like, man, I'm a loser. Now I'm not, I'm not kidding here because we've, we carry this, don't we? We mess up. So on one day, we're feeling really good. All the checks are going. But on this day, we're like, whoa. And that, that's, that's the problem with all this. That's why Paul says don't put confidence in the flesh. Because it will either make you proud or it will b- bury you in guilt. And neither, neither thing it makes you acceptable f- before God. Your feeling bad about your fail- failures doesn't either. All these he calls gains, and that's why it's a trap. They're good things made ultimate things. They are, th- they are things that n- are not God. They become our gods. They become our saviors, and we boast in them. Friends, no one boasts in failures, right? We don't brag about pornography addiction or infidelities. We don't brag about these things. I think many of us still in our culture probably wouldn't brag too much about a divorce. Even the most troubling, maybe deserved divorce. We, we usually don't brag about that. Those are hard things that we think of about our past. We boast about what we consider virtues, like I said, our, our hard work and our wise planning and our right choices. And Paul says, I don't do any of this. I don't bury myself under guilt with my failure. And I don't get lifted up in pride over my accomplishments. I put no confidence in the flesh because it's a trick. His joy depended not on inward praise, but an outward one. Not from the created thing, but from the God who saved him. And and friend, it is the epitome of pride, I think, to think that we can cancel out our debt of sin with our virtue we really think we can do it we can prove ourselves virtuous and accomplished if we just work a little harder good luck I got better news for you someone did it for you and he did it for you in your place because he loves you So you turn from all those gods, you turn from your sin and all of the wretch of your life, give it to Jesus, let him die for it, and receive his affirmation, his forgiveness, his applause, his love, his companionship. Amen? Amen. God is God. Number three, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord for whose sake i have lost all things i consider them garbage that i may gain christ and be found in him not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in jesus the righteousness that comes from god on the basis of faith you say the law what is all this i don't really understand all this i'm not a christian i don't speak this language you have a law Right? I want you to just think about this. For, you, I'm not, you, you might say I'm not very religious. I don't know that I even believe the Bible. Okay, just pause with me a second, and let me just ask you this. What's your law? What are your rules? <laughs> the things that you think that are going to make you a great and virtuous person at the end of your life. Just make a list. Make your own Ten Commandments. Right? We all do that, I think. We kind of mentioned this a bit before. And let me ask you a question. As you make your list, whatever it might be, right? I get up early. Right? I, I work hard. I pay my bills on time. These are your commandments. I'm married. I'm good to my wife. I'm a good dad. I'm a good mom. Right? You start making them out and at the end of the life you can be proud of you. Let me ask yourself a question. Have you ever broken any of them? You fall short of your own demands. And you made them. <laughs> Who's going to save you from you? But friends, there is a God, and there is a bigger standard, His law, written on your hearts. We all know about it. We can't deny it, and we've all broken them, but God is God. Good news, God is God. He's, you're not God. God is God, and God has the power to save you. And he doesn't do it through you. He does it through his son. Whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Oh, Paul's using some hard language here. Degrading language. Loss. Garbage. This is, this is tough. This is me. He's saying this is garbage? His goodness? His works? The, the things that we consider virtuous about us? It's, that's tough. That's hard language. He added everything up. Everything that he considered gains, right? He added it all up one by one and realized... That when it it came to standing confident in life and in the presence of God, it added up to nothing. It It didn't work. That's what he means, that it's garbage, it's worthless, it doesn't work. All the gains, everything about our lives, leaving not one little thing out, does not satisfy the holy demands of a holy God. And if we're honest, we know that in our gut. That as virtuous and well-intended as we can be, we are lost, we are broken, and we fall short. All the little gods that we suppose make us to stand crumble under our own weight. They are as nothing. You see, you can be mad at that, or you can be free by it. Because now, you can stop trusting in you. And you can start trusting in someone a lot bigger and a lot stronger, and a lot greater than you, who never changes. Amen. You see, well, that, that changes your anger about, hey, I think I am pretty good, too. Oh, ah, right? I'm accepted already because He did it for me. Now my good works are actually good. Now they give praise to God and not to myself. Now I'm free. How can any of us stand in the holy presence of God and not be consumed by all his goodness and glory when we know we're sinners? And no doubt this would have been the question of Moses, right? At the burning bush. How is it that a bush can be engulfed in flames but not be consumed? How could Moses himself, you remember this? See God. He says, God, I want to see your glory. And says, I will pass by you. How can Moses himself see God and not perish? How about those three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace not being consumed by the fire? How is that possible? How can any man, a priest in the Old Testament, enter into the dwelling place of God in the temple and not be crushed by God's holiness and presence? And oh, and by the way, how could that angel of death in Egypt pass over some of the firstborn and those firstborn be protected when that angel only was instructed to destroy Friends, typified in the Old Testament in the blood sacrifices in the angelic protections and the cleft of the rock that Moses was hidden in, stands our magnificent hero, the one and only Savior, the Pascal Lamb, the cleft rock, the greater blood sacrifice, Jesus Christ. He's your rock. He's your protection. He's your salvation. Trust in him. You're off the hook. You don't got to do it. Only He is God. Only He is Savior. All the gains of our lives in comparison to His gain, knowing Him, are as lost, they're as garbage, that I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law, but that, that comes by faith in Christ. Friends, you cannot save you. You cannot, work. you cannot work your own sin away. Your goodness is worthless for that end. It cannot blot out the stain, and you cannot prove yourselves by it. But there is a righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, foreign to your flesh, the righteousness of Jesus. Joy of joys. No more performing. You don't have to sleep with people anymore. No more false gods. You don't need the job to prove your worth. In Christ is your righteousness. The work is done. He has won for you, and in Him, you are a winner. You win. You're safe, you're loved, you're cherished, you're not alone. Game over. You see, friends, if your joy is leaking, I just want to present to you the possibility that it's because maybe you've never known that or you've forgotten it. So come back. It's finished. Let me close. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Psalm chapter 16. Say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. Lord, you alone are my my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. I keep my eyes always on the Lord with him at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body rests secure. You make known to me the path of life you fill me with joy in your presence and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. God, we come to you and we confess to you as Christians Lord, that we forget this that we are not God that our flesh is a trap and that you are God. We forget this and because of this our joy leaks. Oh God, I pray Lord that the gospel would plug up those holes. We would remember all that you've said about us and done for us. And God, if we die with not a penny to our name, alone in a home, God, we are, we have better company and more security than some people with all the money in the world and all the friends in the world. So God, we love you and we give you praise. Teach us what it means to not put confidence in the flesh. God, forgive us for how often we do it as believers. And friends, if you're not a Christian here this morning, would I, could I just ask you to drop down your confidence in your flesh and trust in Christ. Turn from your sin. trust that, that all, of, all of the payment that was due for your sin was, was paid by Jesus at the cross. That you don't owe a nickel. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Trust in him, turn to him, and he'll save you. There isn't a magic prayer that you need to pray. There isn't some ritual that you need to go through. It is a confession, a turning of heart to God and trust. Trusting that he saves you. That you are not God, that he is God, that your flesh cannot save you, that Jesus can. Trust in that and it's done. God, we thank you so much for the gracious message of Christ. Fill us with your joy, and as we turn to communion now, help us to remember the wonderful Savior we have in Jesus' name. Amen.